Mindfulness Mode, 254. The problem with stress is that when it comes to women, they are more likely to crave salty, sweet, high-calorie dense foods. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Well, thanks again, Mindful Tribe, for joining me here. Great to have you with us today. Last time my guest was a teacher who has taught hundreds of thousands of people through online courses, his books, his live speaking events. He's centered and believes wholeheartedly in mindfulness. You might want to go back and check out Dave Crenshaw, episode 253. That's mindfulnessmode.com slash 253. Last time I told you a little bit about my experience in Newfoundland in the summer. It wasn't so long ago, just a few weeks ago, returned from Newfoundland. And, oh, I told you last time, meeting the people, it felt like there's an authenticity. It felt like, you know, people that we met were just genuinely caring people who want to connect with you who want to learn about you and find out who you are and what you're about and I mean there are lots of people on the planet like that but it seems like more of them are grouped together at a fascinating place called Newfoundland well one man we met his name was Robert we were at, we went to a museum which was depicting life probably a hundred years ago in Twillingate And the young man was barely 17 years old and, oh, passion. He had such an incredible passion for sharing with us the story of his ancestors and what they did, showing us the artifacts. And and he, oh, he got so excited and telling us all about it. And something, you know, if there's something he didn't know, he was very upfront. Sorry, I don't know that. But then he would go on and tell us something else, and I totally enjoyed his Newfoundland accent, which was, oh, it was so thick, and it was so cool. I really had to listen closely to hear everything he was saying, and I did have to ask him a couple of times to stop because I said, you know what, I just can't quite keep up with you, you know, because he talked very, very fast, very quickly, but... The thing that really hit me was his incredible passion for just for just being there, doing what he was doing at that moment, a true mindfulness, which, you know, he may not have even been familiar with the term. I don't know, but he just truly authentically had that quality. And I, I was asking him about the food and the fish because we had really enjoyed local fish and and the wonderful food they had there in Newfoundland but I said you know what kind of fish do you eat and do you like to eat you know cod tongue which is a delicacy in Newfoundland he says no but I like cod cheek I really like cod cheeks and so we talked about cod cheeks and how delicious they are and I said well do you like your fish deep fried and he said hmm I don't, he says, I've never had it like that. I've never had deep fried food. My mother always just cooks it a certain way. She never fries it. She never deep fries it. I thought, well, that's really interesting because when you go into restaurants, so often that's the way the fish is presented. 
is deep fried, but he has fish in him, I think probably a healthier uh, form of cooking. But I mean, I'm just so, it's just so much fun to recall what it was like talking with Robert. And I asked him if I could record him telling us some of these things and I did on my phone and, and I listened to it and thought oh man like what a what a great example of a person just truly being who they are mindful and helpful so I just wanted to share that little story with you today now today's guest is really authentic too she is truly who she is and i went to an event in toronto hearing some some wonderful speakers and when i sat down i ended up sitting beside this lady we got talking and after a few minutes she pulled out her book she said would you like a copy of my book and i said sure well she's my guest today she's funny she's creative she's a wonderful teacher as well as a chef and an expert in IT, she can help you understand your food challenges without even talking about diets. Now, I have a feeling you'll love this interview as much as I did, so sit back, relax, and enjoy listening to my friend, Lorraine Croston. You are going to totally be thrilled with my guest today. She's all about food. She's all about what you put in your mouth and what you eat and so much more than that too. But I am so excited to tell you that with me today, I have Lorraine Croston. Lorraine, are you in mindfulness mode? I am totally in mindfulness mode. (laughs) Lorraine Croston is a certified life coach. She's a speaker and she's an author. She's worked as a chef, a computer network instructor, a trainer, a project manager. Wow, she's done so many things. Lorraine has bundled all of her life experiences into a package where she helps people achieve physical and emotional health in playful, easy-to-follow steps. Her book, The Devil's Food Cake Made Me Do It is a great example of Lorraine's unique way of viewing life and helping people. So Lorraine, what does mindfulness mean to you? It's funny you should ask that. If you had said mindfulness to me uh, as early as like three or four years ago, I would have said, are you kidding me? Because of course I was still in that full IT mode. Things are white, things are black, it's on or it's off. Mindfulness to me is actually being aware of what you're thinking, be aware of how your body is feeling. I mean, a lot of the times we'll maybe be aware that, oh, well, I'm, I'm a little sick, I, my head is a little off, but we often forget what we tell ourselves and we overlook it. And yet what we tell ourselves is a big deal because it will very often either, if we're adventurous, push us to do things, which is great, or it will absolutely stop us in our tracks because we're afraid. I can't do that. I can't move forward. And that, when you're aware of those uh, impulses that stop you, they may be completely unreasoned fears. And so that's where mindfulness, I find, really, really is helpful because then you, once you address the fear, you kind of realize that it's not necessarily a reasoned one and you can move past it. 
Right. That makes sense. And in your book, The Devil's Food Cake Made Me Do It, made me, wow. You know, it's it's the funniest book in some ways, and yet it's dead serious about how you do have to stop and think about what you're thinking as you put that whatever it is into your mouth because so often we just do it on autopilot and you've got nine reasons why you might put things into your mouth in this book and I just found it awesome and especially that first story that you tell tell us tell us about that how you frame you, each one you actually picked my very very favorite uh, <laughs> what I turn them is the the food demons you've seen those cartoons where you have the little demon on the one shoulder and you've got the little angel on the other yeah. Well, a lot of the times when it comes to food, we've got that little demon that's convincing us what it is that we should do. And the very first one, I I picture, and I, I deliberately gave them each a persona, and I let people, I give sort of an outline, I let people imagine what it would be for them. And to me, it's like, pardon the expression, but to me, that first taste demon is sex on a stick. You absolutely can and not resist him. Yeah. And I uh, I had so much fun with that particular one as far as writing. <laughs> yes. It's not necessarily uh, one that when I wrote the book, I also put my own experience with these nine different food demons, but it's not one that I'm often afflicted by, but boy oh boy. And the idea behind the taste demon is that you eat beyond the point of fullness. So there's that mindfulness that you completely shoved out the door Yes. because you're faced with this absolutely tremendous, it's like, oh my God, this is so good. I can't stop eating. Yeah. Although you should. I mean, there's going to be leftovers. You can have more later. <laughs> or there might not be leftovers <laughs> and there won't be okay. any later. And what am I going to do? I got to eat it now. <laughs> and it tastes so much better now than it ever could in the future. Oh my gosh. <laughs> there's so many ways to rationalize that. Isn't and, and there? there you go. And there's your, there's your little please demon talking. Yeah. You're saying, oh, you got to eat it now. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you just had so much fun with this. That was obvious. And, and as a reader, you know, I read through this and I'm like, oh yeah, I do relate to this. Oh yeah, I relate to that. And I'm thinking, but I'm sure I probably don't relate to the other eight. And then I relate to the next one and the next one and the next one, but I did relate to all of them. <laughs> well, originally when I, when I started with my practice and, and I was working with people, I would tell everyone that I was uh, an emotional eating coach, you know, like, and I would invariably have any number of people would say, oh, I'm not an emotional leader. I'm not an emotional leader. I'm not an emotional leader. And I thought, yeah, you are. You just don't realize it. Right. And when I wrote the book, I have three older sisters and I told them what I was doing and all the rest. And all three of them also said to me, I'm not an emotional leader. <laughs> and then they read the book. And after each one had finished reading my book and made their comments, they said, found my demon, found my demon, found my demon. And none of them have told me what their demon is. Oh, <laughs> But they looked at me really shamefaced <laughs> and a little bit, you know, a little bit, oh dear, they had found their own food demons. The thing is, it's not necessarily, like the book is for people who, again, it's the mindfulness thing. It's not necessarily that you're overweight or that you need to lose weight or that you're unhealthy, but it, it's that people may have unhealthy eating habits. And 
part of that will affect what they choose to eat, when they eat, how they eat, because that's just, you know, the, those bad habits that exist. Yeah, for sure. Well, you've really nailed it with this book. But how did you go from being an IT person <laughs> to be, being a food person? Like, that is really funny. Well, don't forget that I did start off, I, I worked as a chef. Oh, of course. So I took yes. culinary management and I worked as a chef. So, of course, food is always important. And I started to cook when I was 12 years old. Oh, did you? And in my family, we had no money to go out and eat. So I've always cooked for my own, like cook my own meals and cook from scratch. So that's easy for me. It's not necessarily easy for everyone. So there's the food aspect. And you're right. Yes, I spent years in the IT field. So it's a very male-dominated field. I was like the powerhouse in that field. And it's a yes or no, very logical. Uh, you kind of get to a point. I got to a point where I hit a wall and it was, I've got to get out of here because I'll start to kill people. Mm. <laughs> like it was, it was a little bit of a depression. It was also that I was just in an unhappy place and I desperately had to get out. And that started my journey to, well, what do I do next? And part of the things that I needed to do again in your mindfulness thing is that I realized that with all of those years of being in a very um, black and white world, I'd sort of lost my softer side oh yes and so that's where i switched and started to take the nutritional therapist course and nutrition and exercise courses and going into the life coaching i just needed to recapture that softer side because there's always been that desire to help others i mean i was a trainer but inside of me is always a teacher i love sharing my knowledge and what I was uh, um, I was talking to someone earlier today is that she was also a teacher and we were discussing, you know, sort of teaching styles. And she said she was goofy. And I said, you know what? In my own way with IT, I was as well because I would incorporate stories because otherwise I could say, click this button. You're going to get that. No, it was networking. So I would say, well. Joe is about to go on holidays, and he's the network administrator, and Jeff is going to take over. Jeff does something that's a complete bonehead move, and of course, everyone laughs, because I'm using the names of students in the class. Right. So all of a sudden, Jeff is kind of, you know, he pulled a bonehead move. Yeah, yeah. But he realized what he did, and why it was bad, and he made these corrections. So okay. at least that was fun, and I could sort of incorporate stories and make it interesting. So that the teacher in me is there, but I want people to have fun with it. So when I decided to write the book, I didn't want it to be a dry, I could have come up with all kinds of science in it. I've read those books and I plow through those books. I didn't want people to plow. <laughs> no. I wanted them to have fun, but also to get some life lessons out of it, some things that they could take away and that are easy. We're so overwhelmed. There's so much stress. There's so much information. I wanted to make sure that this was fun and it was easy and it's something you can incorporate without any extra effort. 
Well, you definitely succeeded, Lorraine. You definitely succeeded. It's fun. It's easy. It's entertaining. But yet, it's really meaty. It really has great information. And speaking of food and speaking of meaty, what are your thoughts on all the different ways that people eat? I mean, we have vegans. We have vegetarians. We have meat eaters. We have all these different trends, really. Some of them are. What are your thoughts on some of these different ways to eat? Some of them are very, very good. Some of them are very good for you. Uh, vegetarian, vegan, I actually were ate mostly vegan for about two years. In my case, I had to stop because I was getting depleted in B12. Okay. And B12 was affecting my memory and it was also affecting my mood, which probably at the time didn't help when I hit that wall and was unhappy. Right. Everybody is different and that's the problem. Once you get one of these um, diets and someone said, oh, it worked wonders for me what happens is that and where the problem is on all of these diets is it may have worked well for one person and not for anybody else mm -hmm. because everyone's so different the other thing that i find is that great you lost all that weight now what because it's not the losing weight that's the hard part it's the maintenance yes keeping and the maintenance it, is that way. really difficult because once you've done that diet that has certain certain deprivation things once you start incorporating those other pieces that you've been deprived of, what do you think happens? Well, you just gain the weight back, don't you? You crave it. Oh, yes. great. I've lost all that weight. Now I can have fill in the blank. Da-da, yes, whatever it is. And you gain the weight back and then some. And your body, as soon as you hit a higher point, your body wants to stay there. And that's the problem. If you try to lose about 10% of your body weight, you're in the safe zone. But if you've gained a lot of weight, that starts to get more and more and more difficult to come back down again. I see. So all of these diets, I have a, I, I'm not thrilled with them. Right now, I've, I'm in the process of writing a report about low-carb diets. Mm. And um, I had someone ask me about it. And I said, okay, the thing about carbs is that it gets turned into sugar and sugar feeds your brain. So do you really hate your brain? Of course because not. Because if you're taking the carbs out, you stop feeding your brain. Yeah, that's no good. My opinion, and the research bears it as well. So I am not necessarily a fan of deprivation diets, but then again, you'll find someone who said they've done it, they've managed to stay on it for years, and that worked for them. So right. what is important is to try to find the right balance for each individual. And it's not going to be the same thing. I read something that fad diets are bad. And I read that line and I went, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you obviously love helping people because you've done all this IT work and you work with people with, with you know, uh, healthy eating and all of these things. What were you like as an eight-year-old child? Were you always helping other people as a little girl? Tell us about yourself. When I was eight years old, I was the person who would be running the restaurant. Oh, yeah? I was either running the restaurant or I was at the front of the classroom playing teacher. Yes. <laughs> so I haven't fallen very far from No, you haven't changed much, have you? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much an open book. It stays pretty close to the same. This is, yeah. this is who I am and 
the only thing that gets better is that my knowledge increases and I got a better sense of humor, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, that seems to be very, very healthy. Now, tell me this, uh, you know, we're talking about mindfulness. Is meditation part of your life? And if it is, what does it look like? Again, if you'd asked me that even as short as a year ago, I would have said, are you kidding me? I can't sit there for 30 minutes not thinking about it. And I've discovered that for me, it's 10 minutes. And I was doing it quite, quite regularly. First thing in the morning, uh, I would do the 10 minutes. And for a while, I wasn't doing it. And what I found is that I kind of lost my compass. Things weren't coming to me as quickly. They weren't like there wasn't that flow. And I started just again taking my 10 minutes and all of a sudden the universe or uh, things around me just started to get better. And what, unfortunately what happens is that people think that you're supposed to sit there and, and make your mind blank. And that's not the point. No. Point to meditation. And what I do is I keep a pad of paper next to me with a pen and I'll sit and I'll, I have a, a program that I'll have music that are, are uh, I like to hear water okay. when I'm, doing my 10 minutes and it'll time it. So I put it for 10 minutes. It runs this soundtrack of water and I let my mind wander. I get some great ideas when I'm doing this meditation. And that's why I have the pad of paper and the pad next to me, because when I have it, I write it down so that then I can let that thought go and let my mind wander some more. And to me, that's meditation. It's letting your mind wander and seeing what comes in and the things that you can think about briefly and let go. And some yes. of them, sometimes it's really important to let go. Yeah, a lot of times it is. I totally agree with that. Well, you live on a lake. Don't you live on, on the north shore of Lake Ontario? Yeah, our neighborhood is right near uh, uh, it's right near Lake Ontario. I can take a walk and go and see it every single day. And uh, do you the, do that? Do you see it every every day? Yeah, because I walk oh, the dogs, so I get to see oh. sometimes from a distance. You know, we, mm -hmm. we have a catchment pond nearby, and, and you can see the lake in the distance. But, yeah, I pretty much see Lake Ontario. I, I guess I, I very much like being near water. To me, it's it's one of these things that I find very relaxing. Well, it's very relaxing, and it's very mindful. You know, let's face it. it's Water has a special power, and it does help us to relax, just as nature does. So do you love getting out there just into nature as well, around oh, yeah. the trees and all that kind of thing? Well, my birthday's in October. Okay. And when I was growing up, I'm the youngest of six, and all there right. was not a lot of money. But every fall... As a family, we'd get into the car and we'd go into the local part, like the, the nature preserves, and go for a walk in the woods. Nice. And to me, if I don't do that at one point in the fall or in the spring or at some point, if I don't do it on a fairly regular basis, I miss it. So that's something that, yeah, I love. I love walking in the woods, the nature trails, and the smells and the sounds and the birds that are chirping. Or In the fall, you get that leaf smell the damp leaf smell that's just on on one of those crisp clear mm. autumn days where the sky is just like brilliant blue and you've got the yellows and the reds and the oranges and a little bit of the brown leaves of the oak trees it's ugh, love. Oh, wow <laughs> i love the pictures you're painting that's beautiful yeah and i can smell it as you're talking about it as Tell well we yeah that that is great yeah, absolutely. So you spend your days helping people with food and helping people think about what they're putting into their mouths. What do you think is the biggest 
challenge for people when it comes to food and, and probably it's one of these nine demons. Is there one that stands out as being the biggest, you know, demon? Stress. Oh, is it? I would say that that right now is uh, particularly for women. The problem with stress is that when it comes to women, they are more likely to crave salty, sweet, high calorie dense foods. So when they're stressed, those salads go out the window. There's not a chance they're going to want it. They're going to want the heavy pastas. They're going to want the pizzas and the burgers and the fries. It's stress. And mm-hmm. I find that right now with the, I'm, I'm in the GTA, so the commute and everything else and, and the jobs and the demands and kids at school and all the rest of it, uh, there's an awful lot of women that are having to battle that particular demon, which is your stress demon. Yeah. And you battled it and you got out of that corporate world, didn't you? Yeah. Is that yeah. what you suggest to others? It's not for everyone. Uh, when I left the corporate world, it was not a, uh, a uh, I quit. I walked out, literally walked out the door. And at the time, I was the one who was making money. My husband was unemployed. He was only doing a part-time job. And I knew that when I walked out the door, I'd get no employment insurance. Mm. But if I didn't, I was either going to start to hurt people around me or I was going to hurt myself. I, oh, I, wow. I was, had to get out. It was bad to me. My, my mindset at that time was not great. And I had to. And I was willing to risk it all. So it's not something that I would recommend for everyone. Some people are... Uh, far less risk averse than I was at that time. (laughs) But uh, I am now part of a networking group of women, entrepreneurial women, and there's an awful lot of them that have left the corporate world. They just got tired of it and they're looking to go out on their own. Again, it's not for everyone. These women, I would suspect that a lot of them are um, actually about half and half. Some of them are single moms. Others are, are married and they have that safety net, but they're leaving. They That corporate grind just is has worn them down. They're not willing to compromise their own um, desires for a better life or their own lifestyle or their health over it. Well, Lorraine, on a different note, I'm seeing artwork behind you. So there's something else that you do. Do you find that a mindful experience to just relax and, and create art? Uh, I don't do art as much as uh, as shown in, in the things you see behind me. What I actually do is I like to take out my spinning wheel and spin yarn. Ah. It's a very relaxing to me. It's very, very relaxing because it's very rhythmic. Mm-hmm. And I, I sit down, I watch TV, and I'll spin yarn. And no, I'm not telling stories. I'm literally spinning yarn <laughs> out of wool or fibers. Yes. It, it's an old technique it's an old idea you know people used to spin their own yarns a long time ago and and the funny thing is is that um, I met up with a group of other women and I've actually bought a full fleece and I've washed it and I'm preparing it and I'm telling my mother about all this stuff and then I said to her you must absolutely be laughing because when you were growing up you had to do this stuff I'm doing this for fun yeah and she said to me and I didn't know this that my maternal grandmother used to uh, win prizes at these farm fairs for her spinning. Oh, incredible. So maybe in a way I'm channeling my, my grandmother. 
Isn't that amazing? What a what a great story. Now, Lorraine, I've worked in bullying prevention for some time, and I'd like to ask a question about this because mindfulness can really help people that are experiencing this. Have you experienced bull- bullying either in your adult life or way back when you were a kid? Have you got a story for us? I was the smallest kid in the class. Mm. I don't term it quite so much as bullying, but I was definitely teased quite a bit. I was very fortunate because, like I said, I was the youngest of six. So once I got home, I was safe. And I had a whole crew of people around me that kept that. It was my safe haven. Sure. Uh, I think that a lot of the times that I, I look back and I I think about these people who, you know, had bullied me or, or teased me at the time. And I sometimes wonder what's going on in their household. If they are feeling powerless at home, this is their way to regain power. And so they're going to look for the person that they think is the most vulnerable and bully them. And unfortunately, what happens in my case, it it didn't work because, I mean, I was I had five older siblings that picked on me. So it's like, eh, eh, that ain't going to happen. Yeah. But what I think happens is that they look for the most gentle soul who won't fight back. And that's where it's really a shame because these poor gentle souls are the ones who, who take the hit a lot more They're They don't have, they don't have that hardcore to fight back. And so it is much more damaging to them than what may have happened to me when I was growing up. Right. You were able, yeah, you were able to get through it and you had that support. I had the support. And the other thing, too, is that my mom stopped protecting me, so I had to fight my own battles. Okay. So in a way, internally, in my own house, I had to stand up for myself or find the means to navigate through the whole family dynamics. So I had the tools for it. But imagine if I'd been an only child where I'm closeted and, and I said, maybe a gentle soul. I didn't get those tools to sort of say, hold on, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be your victim. I'm not gonna take the bullying back off. Then you get, you get those very bad situations. Yeah, for sure, Lorraine. I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So we'll just zoom through this section. The first one is, who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness in your own life? One of my. She'll be a little bit surprised, but one of the women that I do a lot of uh, networking with is called Jenny McKee, who is absolutely delightful. And actually, she's one of the people who's kind of brought that out in me, and she may not even realize it. Oh, so interesting. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? I'm a kinder, gentler person. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have to be the manager. I don't have to be the hard, you know, take charge, make all the decisions. It's been a lovely journey. I'm really liking being able to sit back and and just take it easy. That's great. How is breathing part of your mindfulness? Breathing is so interesting because I've just finished doing an audiobook, the audio version of my book. Uh I've taken a voice acting coach. And I also do yoga. So, I mean, breathing is part of all of those things. When right. you're doing an audiobook, you try not to breathe too loudly because it'll pick it up and you have to clean that up later. Sure. But when you're doing yoga, it's a totally different 
thing. You're you're making sure that you're that's what you concentrate on is totally on the breath. Right. Yes. Well, if you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? I would recommend a book called Mindset. It's by Carol Dweck. Uh, it is it is a scientific kind of it's based on science, but she writes it in a really great way and it really brings home whether or not you can it, it brings home resiliency. And that part, that's also part of, if you understand sort of the idea, she she talks about a closed mindset and an open mindset. And I interpret it as if you've got a closed mindset, chances are you will not be nearly as resilient as if you've got an open mindset. And she explains all of that. And when I read it, I went, wow, that, that makes it so much clearer on the way that people react to certain situations and why people will protect what they do at all costs, whereas other people will be more adventurous and try things. And it's a, it's a good read. Excellent. Well, I'll put all that in our show notes. Do you have an app that you would recommend, or maybe you recommend it to your clients, which helps to be more mindful? When it comes to actually f- to food, there's one that I actually liked, and it was called fatsecret.com. Okay. One of the reasons I like it, you can track a little bit of what your food intake is. And also the nice thing about it is I think you can also put your recipes in and it'll give you all of the um, nutritional uh, labeling on it. You can also write journal things in it. So what you're thinking about what you're eating. So I kind of like that one. And I liked it because it also had uh, Canadian restaurants and Canadian food as well as the American. So it covered North America really, really simple to use. So when I start to work with clients, if they, you know, want to have somewhere where they can track, I write, I use that one. Lorraine, it's, it's completely been... free. Oh, is it? It's free. That's free. even better. Yeah. yeah. Lorraine, it's been so much fun talking with you today. It really has. How can Mindful Tribe learn more about what you do and maybe connect with you? Uh, they can connect with me on my website, uh, LorraineCroston.com. I also have a Facebook page, same name. Uh, there's also a really great uh, um, community called goread.com where I have an author's page and oh. they can find me there. Goread.com. I'm on Twitter, and- I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah. And I'll point out it's Lorraine with two R's, L-O-R-R-A-I-N-E, Broston. LorraineCroston.com, yeah. Croston, C-R-O-W-S-T-O-N. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks so much for joining me here on Mindfulness Mode. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed being here. And by the way, you are a wonderful interviewer. Thank you so much, Lorraine. I appreciate that. Well, I'll be thinking about all those demons as I go to put things into my mouth, and I'll be thinking twice a lot of the time now that I've read your book. Okay, well, you have a great rest of your day, Lorraine, and and thanks again for joining us. Bye now. 
Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.